Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Marcus, I have a pitch for you. All right. All Fucking right. B- blast my ass. Here. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I forgot now. Jesus. Uh, all right. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay. It, it, it's about, um, okay. It's about a, a, a house. A house. Yes. And in it, there are people, right? Okay. And, and it's like a family. Solid start so far. Yes. It's good. It's good. Good structure right there. All right. And uh, and they live in Queens. Queens. Perfect. Everyone yeah. loves Queens. The Happy Family in Queens is a sitcom. Really funny. You know, they, you got the wacky grandparents of and course. everything. Uh, this sounds perfect. Yes. And we're going to call it Everybody Loves the Ramones. <laughs> No, I don't want to go back to Queens. I don't <laughs> and then, and then we do a crossover with the nanny. <laughs> it's gonna be great. It's perfect. Okay, cool. When Coming the- to ABC this fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to No Dogs in Space, everyone. I'm Marcus Parks. I'm Carolina Hidalgo. And we're married. What? <laughs> I mean, that's what we told our accountant the other day, but I don't know why that's important here. And today, we are finally getting to the band that, uh, I don't know, brought us together way back in the day, you know, uh, four years ago. Four years ago last week. (laughs) (laughs) Band that, yeah, band that we both absolutely love and, uh, yeah, the band that really brought us close when we first started dating. The Ramones. Oh, yeah. Now, this may not be true for some of you. But many of us remember the first time we truly heard punk rock. And not when we heard it for the first time in the background of a fucking commercial. Because for those of us under 40, punk has been used to sell us cars and detergents and all manner of bullshit for fucking decades. And it's not just America either. When we were over in the UK, like, I heard a Sham 69 song, I think, used in a fucking commercial. Really? <laughs> it wasn't, maybe it wasn't Sham 69, but it was something that was, there was a punk baby. I definitely remember a punk baby. <laughs> It was fucking bizarre. But what I'm talking about here, I'm talking about the first time that your brother or your sister or your friend or your uncle popped a cassette or a CD into the car stereo or bedroom tape player and introduced a whole new world of musical possibilities. My best friend's boyfriend introduced me to corn. <laughs> is, is that like the same thing? It's the same ballpark. Oh, I'd say it's yeah. the same ball. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if corn really stuck with you. Uh, well, 
Well, you know, one song still holds up. Yeah, which one? Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 Got the Life. Got the Life is really fun. It's yeah. good. It's really yeah, good. Yeah, Freak on a Leash is fun. Corn, I'll go back and listen to every once in a while if I feel like being a shithead for about an hour. Yeah. Yeah. But no matter where we heard this music, most of us remember the first time we had our minds absolutely blown by an album or a song that was loud, fast, and talked about weird shit that you didn't think anybody else in the world cared about but you. And for many of us, the very first punk band that we heard, the one that defined what punk rock means with their attitude, their look, their lyrics, and their technique, was New York's own Ramones. never not laugh at third verse different from the first <laughs> i thought that was a note when i first but it wasn't nope nope part of the song the ramones were the world's premier punk band even if there were already people in england and australia and even other parts of america playing hard and fast before the first ramones album was released because they were everyone ultimately took their cues from johnny joey Dee Dee, tommy and later marky and CJ. And CJ. Yeah, you can't forget <laughs> CJ. No, by the time CJ came around, it was a whole different ballgame. <laughs> and while they may not have been the first band to play CBGBs, the premier punk venue, they were the band that made it famous. And even though they never really changed styles in the 21 years they were together, they didn't need to because the Ramones, with a few admitted exceptions, always worked. Every Ramones album, even the ones that aren't so great, have at least one or two songs that you absolutely fucking love. Like that one corn album I was telling you about. <laughs> Joey and Dee Dee wrote songs that stick in your head for weeks, if not months. Songs that are easy to sing and easy to play, but impossible to replicate. Although hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across the world have tried. There's a few bands that are able to get close to it, but none can quite pull it off the way those four fucking weirdos from Queens could. And they sang about weird shit. Just on the first album, you had songs about sniffing glue, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, covert CIA operations in Cuba, Nazis, and male prostitution. It's, um, Alex, I'll take male prostitution for a hundred. <laughs> Daily Double. <laughs> But on that same album were songs that were also deeply human and relatable. Songs like this one. Hey, little girl, I want to be your boyfriend. 
so romantic it really is i yeah. mean joey ramone was a romantic as we'll definitely find out now, this band was the starting point for millions of musicians all over the world for the last 40 years and they were the band who truly showed the masses that all you needed to make music was heart desire and determination and a brother to show you how <laughs> <laughs> that's right Family's very important to this story. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is that not everyone who started playing Ramon songs ended up being in a punk band forever. It's just that the Ramones showed you that you could be, anyone could be in a band. Anyone could fucking play. They were truly the band that showed everyone anything is fucking possible. And even though the Ramones were never huge when they were alive, if someone were to somehow resurrect two out of the four original Ramones through some sort of rock and roll necromancy, I guarantee you they could sell out Madison Square Garden five nights in a row as long as one of those two was Joey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you gotta have Joey. Yeah, uh, maybe two of them could be Joey. <laughs> That's totally fine. I just like to say this gig sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Here in New York. The Ramones are revered just as much as Bruce Springsteen is revered in New Jersey. Maybe even more so. We've got two streets in this city named after the Ramones. Well, I mean, an alleyway next to the old CBGBs is Joey Ramone Place. And the other one in front of Forest Hills High School. Yeah, but yeah. still, two boroughs have a fucking street named after the Ramones. Now play the Ramones in public here in the city, and you'll get fuck yeahs from New Yorkers of every age, color, and creed. And I've actually tested out this fucking theory like, <laughs> and it's worked <laughs> it's totally worked like i used to uh do a show or fill in for a show on uh east village radio which was a little storefront uh on first avenue uh in the lower east side where it was an internet radio station had speakers that went out to the street remember one day i was playing i think like kkk took my baby away some fucking dude walking by just stuck his head in and went hey los ramones I was like <laughs> hell yeah man fuck yeah and once baseball comes back, you can go to Yankee Stadium and hear the Hey Ho, Let's Go chant between innings. I mean, it's, this is tens of thousands of people singing a fucking Ramon song, which I'm sure Johnny Ramon probably loved because he was a lifelong Yankees fan. Oh, how sorry for him. <laughs> well, I, I figured they'd all be Mets fans, but fucking jo yeah. Johnny, Johnny always has to be contrarian, doesn't he? <laughs> Well, in other words, the Ramones are our boys. Like, they're fucking New Yorks. <laughs> but one of the uh, You're from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But even my fucking brother, like, now says, like, yeah, you ain't no fucking, you're a New Yorker. Like, it's, he, even my brother has shooed me away. <laughs> just like the entire state of Texas shooed me away 15 years ago. And just like, yeah, you don't belong here. Just fucking go to New York. That's where you fucking belong. <laughs> But the thing is that one of the most revolutionary bands of the 20th century did not come from the village or Soho or the Lower East Side. The most influential band in New York City history came from the Forest Hills neighborhood of Queens. Ah, Queens, baby! Queens! But before we get into the story of the Ramones, let's acknowledge our main source for this series, 
Hey Ho, Let's Go, The Story of the Ramones by Everett True, which is a highly entertaining read for Ramones fans of any level of engagement. And also we use Mickey Lee's I Slept of Joey Ramone. Mm -hmm, yes, Mickey Lee being Joey Ramone's brother, which has been very important for this episode to get like the inside scoop on the early days of the boys. Now one of the things that's said about the Ramones is that they could have only come from Queens. And perhaps Carolina, as a Queens girl herself, could give us a little insight into Forest Hills. Oh, well, uh, I was born in Queens. <laughs> Jackson Heights, Queens. That's right. Ah, and I, well, I did not live in Queens until I was like, what, in my early 20s? Mm -hmm. I finally got to go back to my hometown. So uh, all I know about Queens is, uh, first of all, <laughs> the most diverse place in the whole world. Yeah. It's, it's like the deep space nine of the universe. <laughs> it's just people, all kinds of people coming and going. It's great. Yeah. It's fantastic. No, Queens is wonderful to visit. And uh, Forest Hills uh, is, let me just tell you, because I worked for like 12 years coaching kids soccer on the weekends in Forest Hills, Queens. Best people ever. Yeah. Yeah. I love it there. Like they would have their whole family come in to watch their four-year-old play soccer and I was coaching them. Yeah. And, and like, you know, grandma would come and the brothers and sisters <laughs> would come and aunts and uncles and, and then all of a sudden like they bring out like barbecue. It's like crazy. It's awesome. <laughs> That's yeah. Forest Hills. I mean, Forest Hills is truly a neighborhood. It's everybody knows everybody. Because yes. I, I mean, I mean that's the thing about New York City is is that maybe uh, that I think a lot of people don't realize about this place is that it is truly a, a gigantic city. It really is. Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, Staten Island, the Bronx. Put them all together. It is a gigantic city. But within that city are thousands of tiny neighborhoods and like neighborhoods within neighborhoods, streets within streets where it's like our neighborhood, like we don't even, con we consider our, like we live in a pretty big neighborhood in, in Brooklyn, but we consider, when we talk about our neighborhood, we talk about the four block radius around our apartment. <laughs> and the 18 people we know in it. Yeah, that's our neighborhood. And for the Ramones, like in Forest Hills, it was the exact same fucking way. Like it's this tiny you have this tiny world that you live in that really matters to you uh and everyone's on top of each other everybody knows each other uh and there's really a sense of community there's yeah. a huge sense of community there especially in a f place like forest hills yeah especially uh in the 70s it was middle class uh lots of trees everywhere uh tight-knit community like you said just a nice neighborhood for a kid to grow up in yeah and there's also a, a flushing meadows park just down, just right there, where you could just go and run around. They had the World's Fair there in 1939, mm -hmm. that, in 1964. The, the big, gigantic sculpture of the world that you see, like that's in Flushing Meadows Park. It's a beautiful park. Right, and just around there, you can go to the site of uh, Men in Black, where they had to fight yeah. in, a, in the third <laughs> act. Remember when that happened in 1997? I remember that. I remember that incident. <laughs> So as I said, it was a tight-knit community. Uh, it was a mostly Jewish neighborhood uh, back then when all the kids were growing up. And I mean, when I say kids, I mean Joey, Johnny, <laughs> Dee Dee, Tommy. Yeah, and they, they grew up in that neighborhood in, in the 60s, you know, the, the 50s and 60s. Although there would be six people who used the last name Ramon before it was all said and done, 22 years after they started, the original four Ramones were Johnny, Dee Dee, Tommy, and Joey. And this probably goes without saying, but just to make it absolutely clear, because some people still do think this, Ramon was not anyone's real last name. I thought that. <laughs> I thought that when I was a kid. Well, you thought their last name was Ram Ramones. See. Si. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and- I mean, it, growing up, yeah, you do kind of think it's like, wow, those four brothers made it. Oh, man, I bet they come from the craziest family. Yeah, Ramones and Sons. <laughs> no, I mean, the, their real last names were Cummings, Colvin, Ardelli, and Hyman. Uh, and it's with good old Jeff Hyman that we'll start. Jeff Hyman was the birth name of Joey Ramone, born May 19th, 1951, to a reasonably well-off, if dysfunctional, family, although that family was not abusive in any way whatsoever. It wasn't a terrible childhood, but it wasn't a great one either. Well, Joey and his younger brother, Mickey, uh, they were raised by their mother and their weakened father because they were divorced. <laughs> weakened father. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, their parents divorced when they were young, unfortunately, due to a scandal in the neighborhood. Ooh. Yes. What oh. was the scandal? Well, Noel and Charlotte. Uh-huh. Joey's father and mother, they um, they were best friends with another couple down the street. <laughs> and they would hang out, play bridge together, and then all of a sudden, the other couple just vanished. Oh. And then Joey's mom, Charlotte, sat them down and said, hey, you're going to have a new father. Hey, remember Hank? <laughs> that we, me and your father used to play bridge with? Uh. We're going to get married. Oh, uh, one of those. Yeah, so, I mean, his mom remarried... A uh, couple times, uh, she had some boyfriends, so it, it wasn't super stable, but she did work really hard in raising the kids right. Uh, you know, tutoring Joey when he was a kid because he was falling behind a little bit, uh, letting the boys uh, kind of express themselves, uh, you know, letting them uh, play musical instruments, letting them work with art because she was an artist too. So she was always open to that, even though their house was somewhat dysfunctional, but it was really mostly due to circumstances. Yeah, I mean, it's really not all that weird. No, but the whole neighborhood thought so. Yeah. They were like the black sheep. They're like, why are all these flight attendants coming in and out? <laughs> I was like, well, you know, we have to rent out a room. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't have any money anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, Joey did get to live in a creative atmosphere. And he was encouraged to, but the only problem is he was a target for bullies. Of course. You know, when he left the house. But at least he had his safe haven at home where he could just... Do whatever, listen to whatever he wanted, watch TV, hang out, and just just be Joey. His mom did the best that she could. I mean, she really did. But the thing is about Joey Ramone is that being a rock and roll singer and a successful one at that was, by Joey's own admission, pretty much the only thing he could do. See, Joey was what you'd call a special boy, owing partly to lifelong mental health issues combined with physical maladies. Now, anyone who has ever seen a picture of Joey Ramone or has seen footage of the Ramones play live knows that Joey Ramone looks, to put it lightly, weird. Now, what's been bandied about over the years is that Joey Ramone suffered from something called Marfan Syndrome. But according to his brother, Mickey Lee, that's just not true. Joey was never diagnosed with Marfan's, although you could see how this rumor ended up becoming rock and roll legend. Marfan syndrome is a disorder that affects connective tissue, meaning that besides having problems with their heart, their eyes, and their bones, people with Marfan's are tall and thin with long legs, fingers, arms, and toes. And that's exactly what Joey Ramone looked like. He was six foot six and impossibly skinny to the point where the mic stand he leaned on during performances appeared to be just another appendage. (laughs) It looked like a third arm on Joey Ramon. That's how natural it looked. But even though, you know, like he didn't have Marfan syndrome, he still had a fuck ton of health problems. 
Joey Ramone was always in and out of the hospital. That is true. I mean, he had uh, physical problems. He had neurological problems, like you said before. Uh, he was born with a congenital uh, congenital <laughs> teratoma. Ooh, a teratoma? Did it have teeth and shit? No, no. It was just like a tumor, like oh. the size of a baseball. Okay. <laughs> attached to his spine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was, uh, well, when he was when he was born with that, they eventually, you know, removed it and everything. He had a scar for the rest of his life. But they thought, like, and I I'm, first of all, I am not a doctor. <laughs> I have to start with that. Important, very important. But what I've read from uh, Mickey's book, you know, Joey Ramone's brother, is that uh, he, this was a really rare birth condition where uh, it it could have led to maybe physical and mental problems because Joey did have a lot of them. So I don't know exactly if that is the explanation or not. Uh I don't know. No idea. He did have physical problems. He was also uh, kind of behind in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he had behavioral issues as well, especially when he got older in his teenage years that we'll talk about. It it was definitely an issue when he was growing up as a boy. The fact that, you know, he would get picked last yeah. in, you know, stickball or playing any kind of game <laughs> or whatever the case is. You might think she's joking when she says stickball, but apparently the Ramones were very good at stickball. They were, Except for Joey. <laughs> you know, and, and, and like, I totally understand because I was like the asthmatic kid with the inhaler and then mm-hmm. they would have to fight over like, you take Carolina and then, <laughs> and then we'll just be one man short. That's fine. Yeah. You know, and so I totally, I totally understand that. Of course. I was also, I was the tiny kid. You know, I was always much, much smaller than everyone else with gigantic hands and feet. So <laughs> but one, always pick last. One cool thing, though, is that uh, Joey Ramone was actually pretty good at ice skating that he could do weird yeah huh well good for him yeah but the thing is that his gawky appearance it's part of what made the Ramones such a great live act but it made things very difficult for Joey as a person and that was only made worse by the fact that Joey suffered from obsessive compulsive disorder his entire life all right this is something I can even more than relate to. Of course. Uh, as someone, no, Joey's <laughs> your boy. <laughs> I, have, I have ADHD, uh, OCD, mm-hmm. uh, just nervous energy at all times. <laughs> it is, uh, I know, annoying to some. No. Um, or sometimes you just get so good at it that you just learn to hide it, but just enough where they don't notice, but enough for them to think that you're weird. <laughs> believe me. Yep. Believe me. Um, I, I, I do remember when we first started going out, you thought I was like on drugs or something. I did not. I couldn't sit still. <laughs> I went to the bathroom four times. I mean, I did ask. I was very honest about that. I was like, yeah, all right. I was uh, like, no, I don't know. It's two in the afternoon. I wouldn't do that. It's fine. <laughs> but so Joey uh, also suffered through the same things. It's, you know, tapping spoons, uh, forks, counting over and over again. Sometimes there's a special number that you need to reach to. Otherwise, you're not going to feel comfortable. Sometimes you have to do one side and then the other. He would have to deal with that. But his was a lot more severe because later on in life, like it got to the point where he couldn't even wash himself. Like he couldn't even bring himself to go change his clothes. Yeah. But the one thing that Joey and all the Ramones shared from a young age, with the possible exception of Johnny, is a love of music. And Joey Ramone's first record was, by his own recollection, Del Shannon's Runaway.
Shannon and the Clams do a wonderful version of that song. I would recommend going and checking that out. All right. Now, when it comes to pegging musical influences, when it comes to the bands we've covered so far, perhaps none are more simple than the Ramones. Because the Ramones wore their influences on their sleeves from the very beginning. Usually, the Ramones included at least one cover on each of their albums. And more often than not, contemporary Tom Waits covers aside... That cover was usually from the time when their love of music was developing. For an example, from their very first album, here's a cover of the Ramones doing the 1962 Chris Montez hit, Let's Dance. such a like once upon a time in Hollywood scene <laughs> when Leonardo DiCaprio is just doing the twist <laughs> yeah like that yeah <laughs> he's showing me he's uh, yes I'm showing her right now in the studio <laughs> exactly how the mashed potatoes done I don't know <laughs> and Joey Ramone was also absolutely in love with the music produced by music legend Phil Spector who wrote and produced some of the greatest songs of the mid-20th century when it comes to the girl groups of the 60s. And also, just in general. I mean, these were said, Phil Spector did truly, they were truly some of the greatest songs of that decade. You know, the Ronettes, the Shirelles. Oh, just, yeah. I mean, just fantastic music mm-hmm. up and down the line. Now, although Joey didn't know that one man was responsible for all these hits that he and his brother loved when they were kids, who would later become all too familiar with Phil Spector himself in the late 70s, which will, of course, be covered later on oh, in the yeah. series. Yes, yes, we will. <laughs> and possibly some of my favorite rock and roll stories ever.
definitely get into that song. <laughs> Probably about episode three. Oh, let's hope so. <laughs> but the thing about Joey Ramone was that he was not originally a singer. Like many of us, with arms too long for our bodies and hands too big for our arms, Joey Ramone was originally a drummer. What do you mean, many of us? Me is oh, you. Yeah, <laughs> like you. There's not like an me, army but... <laughs> of, of you guys. There's enough people out there listening right now where your thing's like, yeah, my hands are, are too big for my uh, fucking arms. <laughs> my arms are freakishly long. Yeah, that's just that's the drummer's body. Also, the swimmer's body. That's all the same. Yeah, well, Joey decided to get into drums because his brother was, like, playing and, you know, starting a new band and everything, and they were teenagers, so he saved and saved up, not money, but trading stamps. <laughs> trading stamps from what? From a supermarket called King Corn. <laughs> And so what he would do is like, you know, because you would tr get these trading stamps and then you would redeem them for prizes. Oh, like Marlboro Malls. Uh, yeah, yeah, for you smokers <laughs> or, or, out there. Or, or Camel Cash, I get it. <laughs> so he did that and he got himself a, a maestro snare drum because he was only allowed to get one drum, his mom said, just one. <laughs> so he finally brought it home. He's all excited. He's ready to play. And his brother's like, hey, so where's the stand? He's like, fuck. <laughs> don't have enough stamps for that. <laughs> so he would just play the drums just between his legs on mm. his lap sometimes <laughs> and, just, and just playing along as, as, as much as he could. But despite all the Ramones meeting in Forest Hills eventually, Joey was actually the only one who had grown up there almost from birth. And not surprisingly, Joey was also the only one who didn't have many fond memories of growing up in Forest Hills. He was pretty much the only one who's like, yeah, I don't really need to go back there anymore. Well, I mean, he was made fun of a lot. Yes. Even by adults. <laughs> I know. It's one of those really oh, sad things, oh, like where the M&Ms melt in your hand. <laughs> like, you, you know, I mean, he walks out of the bathroom, yeah. there's toilet paper on his shoe. <laughs> oh, you're telling me there's a bunch of cruel assholes in Queens just ready to make fun of a fucking weird kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everywhere, really. <laughs> Which I totally understand the awkwardness and, and just not getting anything right. Yeah. You know, but yeah, w whenever he would run, uh, he would run funny. He was like a funny runner guy. Yeah. Uh, kind of like Phoebe and Friends. I don't know. I saw an episode <laughs> once a while ago. And he was just, a, he was, even people, even adults would stop him and like, <laughs> look at that guy. Go. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's funny and it's sad. It's, it's funny. sad, funny. Yeah. <laughs> Well, one of the members who moved to Forest Hills a little later was Johnny Ramone, real name John Cummings. Johnny was born in Long Island, the only son of a construction worker, but moved to Forest Hills as a teenager. Now, although Johnny is by far the most, let's say, controversial Ramone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's, I, I mean, I think Johnny, he's like the one I relate to most on like a creative level. Hopefully only on a creative level. Oh, yeah. Personally and politically, I'm on the fucking opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, when the Ramones were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in, like, what, 2003 or 2004 or something like that, Johnny Ramone uh, said, uh, yeah, God bless the United States and God bless President Bush. Like, that was the wrong time to say that. <laughs> <laughs> It was a real bad time to say that. Oh, Johnny. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. And that's only, I mean, that's the best thing you can say about Johnny Ramone. There's all kinds of reasons to say Johnny Ramone's kind of a piece of shit. He's very much a piece of shit. Yeah. But Johnny's working class background made him look at a guitar as nothing more than a tool he used at work. From what he said, construction worker doesn't fucking play around with his hammer when he's at home. 
Why the fuck am I gonna play around with my guitar when I'm at home? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you make an excellent point. <laughs> rock and roll was his job. That's all it was. That's what he looked at as. Is that rock and roll is my job? My guitar is my tool. He did see it like as an opportunity. Yeah. To uh, move move ahead in life. And I think that's what he wanted to do. You know, he got married young. Uh, he had a construction job. So he was just a regular working man, but he wanted to see what else he could do. Yeah. And that's the thing is that musician was kind of his only option. I mean, you know, people talk about like Joey not being able to do anything but being but being a fucking singer. Like Johnny was kind of the same way, except like like he didn't originally dream of becoming a musician. His original dream was to be a fucking professional baseball player. But he realized if I'm going to be a professional baseball player, got to cut my hair and there's going to be some asshole telling me what to do for the rest of my fucking life. And like, what are you going to do if you want to be successful but you don't want anyone to tell you what the fuck to do? You start your own business. <laughs> I don't think he quite had the acumen for starting. I mean, well, he did kind of no, start I his mean, own business. The business of the Ramones. Yes, the business of the Ramones. Yeah, he's not going to start his own fucking construction company, but he's going to start his own fucking band. But that's the thing. Before he got to that point, he was very briefly a juvenile delinquent. Yes, <laughs> which is insane because he's a he. Johnny Ramone was a guy who loved structure he loved rules he liked being rigid about everything getting everything done right and efficiently but he also broke the rules a lot yeah uh he was i mean when he was young he was like a teenager at this time he was getting into lots of fights why just because just because 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 he wanted to be tough uh he would sniff glue he sniffed carbona <laughs> <laughs> he even did a little bit of heroin yeah. for a little while <laughs> dabble he, he literally dabbled in it uh <laughs> And then his mom found it and flushed it down the toilet and put the kibosh on that. <laughs> uh, he would take ab abandoned TV sets and throw them off from the rooftop of an apartment building. Dee Dee kind of came along with that one sometimes. Yeah. Uh, just dropping him wherever people <laughs> were walking nearby. Incredibly dangerous, awful, you know, teenage shit. I mean, he was like the poster boy of like the 1950s juvenile delinquent. Yeah, yeah. He was bully number two, you know. <laughs> While James Dean is just trying to get to class. <laughs> yeah, but he would just do all kinds of shit and stir all kinds of trouble and break into local businesses. So this is actual criminal stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and, try, and try to rob purses from old ladies. <laughs> He's a, a hoodlum. I mean, yeah. a full-on fucking hoodlum. Like, and he couldn't even break into the right fucking places either. Like, yeah. he was bad at it. Yeah, I know. It's like, wait, is this 253 63rd Street? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> this 63rd Road or 63rd? Ah, I never shit. know. <laughs> but then he said one day he was just walking down the street. He was like about 20 years old and it just hit him. He just like heard a voice in his head saying like, what are you doing with your life? You're just throwing it away. And that's when he decided, all right, for now on, uh, no drugs, uh, just a beer every now and then. But I'm just going to focus on moving forward and, and just getting my life together, which is what he actually did. And he got a job as a construction worker from his dad. And um, actually, it worked. I mean, he worked for five years doing that, never missed a day. Yeah, he followed through. I mean, he, he had order instilled within him. Like, he had gone to military school when he was a kid. He fucking And, and he actually liked that structure. And later, we'll see in the Ramones that he imposed that structure on 
three fuck-ups that didn't really want that structure imposed upon them. Well, two fuck-ups and one professional. They, they, they needed a little discipline. <laughs> Maybe not from Johnny, yeah. but they needed a little bit. Well, let's just say there's a reason why the Ramones lasted 22 years. And unfortunately, it's Johnny's big fat asshole. <laughs> <laughs> as far as music went, though, Johnny's hero was forever and always Elvis Presley. Well, now that's I a man. <laughs> Way across town. She's a good to me. Oh, oh, yeah. Say, I got one. Way across town. She's a good to me. That's a lovely song that Elvis borrowed, <laughs> right? He was going to give it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Ray Charles song. Yes, Elvis borrowed it as he borrowed many other songs. <laughs> well, as far as influences went with Johnny Ramone, that was most of the time all you could get out of him. Elvis. I love Elvis. Until the day he died, Johnny contended that he had no influences when it came to guitar. He said that when he started playing guitar, he pretty much stopped listening to music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to listen to my own old time. Are you kidding me? Now, this is impossible, of course. I mean, this claims bullshit. Uh, because we know that Johnny Ramone, he was a big fan of Bo Deadly, loved Eric Clapton, especially like Cream era Eric Clapton, loved Jimi Hendrix, and of course loved the king of the surf guitar, Dick Dale which you can definitely hear in Johnny Ramone's guitar. fucking play Miserloo, didn't you? I actually did. <laughs> I, I really thought that. That wasn't Johnny's way. He was never that good. <laughs> good point. Or at least, you know, technically. Like, I don't know if Johnny Ramon could ever play Miserloo, like, even at the end. I don't need to. <laughs> Why should I? You know what? I don't even want to. Well, besides Elvis... Johnny Ramone, just like every other member of the Ramones, was a huge fan of the Beatles, long before super cool songs like Helter Skelter and Tomorrow Never Knows came along. The Ramones loved the pop Beatles, songs like A Hard Day's Night, Can't Buy Me Love, and Help. Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know I need someone. Young was so much younger than today. I never needed anybody's help in any way. Now, but now these days are gone. I'm not so selfish. Now I find the gentleman. I'll open up the doors. Help me if you 
all those early punk guys love the Beatles. Yeah. We, I mean, we haven't really got we haven't really talked about the Beatles a hell of a whole lot on this show. Uh, but, but the Beatles They were pretty good. They were pre- <laughs> They were actually they were very good. <laughs> very good. Yeah. 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 yeah we'll go ahead and say the Beatles. Controversial opinion here. The Beatles are very good, but they were revolutionary. You know, like the the Beatles really were like a big deal to a lot of these fucking bands. They were a big deal to every fucking musician at that time period. I, I very much doubt you could find a guy in the early punk scene. You know, the pre-punk scene that said. I don't really like the Beatles. Or maybe they could say that because it's cool to say that. Yeah. <laughs> but then they go home and put on help. Yes, every fucking time. And, you know, that's the thing. They actually, the Ramones, or at the very least Johnny, actually went to go see the Beatles at Shea Stadium. Yeah, he did. He went in 1965. He brought, like, a ton of rocks to throw at them. <laughs> nah. Even though he liked them, he still bought brought rocks to throw. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he went with some friends and one of his friends did say that he did throw like these huge baseball sized rocks at the Beatles mm-hmm. but what Johnny Ramone says in his book Commando is that he sat there with his rocks and he realized they're too far away <laughs> so he just hung out with his rocks he denies ever throwing rocks at them how did he bring in rocks to chase? St- it's fine. <laughs> he didn't throw them. I, mean, I guess he did, did. I don't know if he bought like a big bucket of rocks. You don't buy a bucket. <laughs> what kind of business? Rocks for sale. Rocks. Go get your rocks. Yeah, these rocks are uh, fresh from the quarry. These Beatles are forest. Are these, are, these are original Forest Hills rocks. You're not going to get rocks <laughs> like this in Brooklyn. <laughs> no. So that is a myth. Yes, yes. That's a myth. He brought the rocks but didn't throw the rocks. And if he did throw the rocks, I think we would have heard about the Beatles playing at Shea Stadium. And it's like, oh, they got pelted with rocks. By a baseball player. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Johnny's first role in the music world was playing bass in a band called the Tangerine Puppets with a kid named Tommy Erdelli, who would eventually come to be known as Tommy Ramone. Tommy had been born in Hungary to parents who had just narrowly escaped the Holocaust by hiding from the invading Nazis with helpful neighbors. This, combined with Joey's also Jewish upbringing, definitely puts an interesting spin on early Ramon songs like Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World. I'm an 
I just realized that if you're not like a lifelong Ramones fan, you probably didn't understand the lyrics in that song. Uh, that statement meant nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what the lyrics of that song are is that I'm a Nazi Shotzi. I'm a Nazi. Yes, I am. I'm a Nazi Shotzi. I fight for the fatherland. Yeah, it's a joke, guys. <laughs> it, was, it was a joke the whole time. It was. A, I mean, it was definitely a joke. But, you know, that's the thing. Two out of the four Ramones were Jewish. Like, one of them... His fucking parents were Holocaust survivors. You know, like it's fucking it's insane. But what these guys, what the Ramones were like, is the same thing a lot of the guys in England were like. Stop telling me about the fucking war. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know about it. And so they went completely in the other direction. And Tommy and his family moved to the United States when he was six or seven. And eventually Tommy met the rest of the boys in high school in Forest Hills. But Tommy was not the only Ramon who spent time outside of the United States in childhood. The other Ramon was responsible for writing some of the best songs in the entire Ramones catalog. Dee Dee Ramon, real name, Douglas Colvin. Oh, Dougie. <laughs> Dee Dee. Well, he was born to two angry alcoholics. Yes. A passionate Angry alcoholics, <laughs> you could say. Uh, his mom was a dancer turned housewife who met Dee Dee's American uh, soldier dad after World War II. And so, like, th that's how they got together. It was one of those, you know, German bride things. Yeah. And uh, his, But his parents would drink every night. And they would have parties. And they would get sloppy. And then they, it would turn into fights sometimes. And sometimes it would get violent. Sometimes even directed at Dee Dee. And that's how he grew up in his life, it, with just a total toxic relationship. A terrible childhood. Yes. Like, out of all of the, most, three out of the four Ramones had, pre like, pretty good childhoods, fine childhoods. Dee Dee's childhood was fucking awful. Yeah, he was an army brat, so he moved around a lot. Uh, he lived in Germany, uh, Japan a for a little while, uh, even the United States for just a little bit here and there, because uh, he was born in the U.S. as his sister as well, like when they were stationed in different bases and stuff. But uh, most of his formidable years, though, were spent in Germany, moving from town to town. He wouldn't have a lot of friends, so for fun, he would just rummage through old bombed-out buildings and find, like, all this Nazi paraphernalia and sell it. Like, he'd find, like, <laughs> gas masks, bullets, helmets, wh whatever he could find, which is not a normal childhood. <laughs> but it was, like, Dee Dee's best version of having a lemonade stand. <laughs> you know, it's, like, the best he could do. Yeah, yeah, swastikas five cents each. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, you know, and as a kid, like he was always like just kind of running off and doing whatever on his own because he was just always on his own. Like he once saw a picture of Leonardo da Vinci when uh, Leonardo da Vinci created those wings to make men fly. Mm -hmm. He saw a picture of that on a, on, in a textbook and he's like, that's a good idea. <laughs> so he made some wings and then he would just like ran up to the top of the building where he was living. And he was just like about to make a running start <laughs> and jump to show that he could fly. But luckily... He was stuck. <laughs> but that was Dee Dee. Dee Dee yeah. enjoyed a fantasy life of like running around and just creating like a whole world for himself. Yeah. That's the thing about Dee Dee is that he's kind of often seen as, I wouldn't say like the dumb Ramon, but, but Dee Dee had a, a brilliant mind, uh, especially when it came to songwriting. Like this guy could write a fucking song. He had a brilliant creative mind. His day-to-day -day mind, maybe not so sharp. Well, he would sometimes like experiment with drugs yeah and that was a part of i mean that was another thing where you know his parents were 
severely addicted to uh, alcohol. And so sometimes what happens is that their offspring will also have an addiction uh, or, or be easily inclined to be addicted to something, and which what he had to struggle with for the rest of his life. And it started at about the age of 14. Like, he'd go through garbage cans and look for morphine, and he'd find it. Well, yeah. <laughs> he'd he'd take yeah. it. He'd find it and he'd take it. And, and oh, yeah. When he got like uh, airplane models, yeah. he would just be like, okay, I'm going to make this air. Oh, glue. <laughs> Look at oh. And he would sniff some glue. Yeah, of course. Two out of the four Ramones were big into glue. For a little while. For a little bit, yeah. Now, when Steedy arrived in Forest Hills, he eventually met Johnny. And that's part of what made the Ramones the Ramones, these little weird connections. More than most bands, the formation of the Ramones was truly organic, and it came from living in Forest Hills, which we'll explore fully here in a sec. But the thing about the Ramones is that even though their formation was organic, their past is shrouded in legend. Now, at least in the early days, certain songs in the Ramones' repertoire were based on personal experience. But not everything that seems to be true actually is. Although it's funny that while the more brutal shit in the early Ramones songs is true, the more innocent things are exaggerations. And, of course, we're talking about sniffing glue. You know, to their credit, glue really rhymes with a lot of things. <laughs> like do and, and do. <laughs> we know there's more. <laughs> and building off that, the boys upped the ante by writing a second huffing song a couple of years later, which really isn't about huffing at all. I mean, now I want to sniff some glue. Is, I mean, it's, it's about sniffing glue. <laughs> <laughs> it's about being bored. <laughs> and Carbona Not Glue, I guess you could call sequel to Now I Want to <laughs> Sniff Some Glue. I mean, it's a lot like the Stooges song 1969. And I guess kind of like Now I Want to Sniff Some Glue. I mean, these songs are about boredom and domestic hopelessness. This is all the fuck I got. Early morning. 
I mean, some of them did sniff glue, yes. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> 50%. <laughs> some of them did sniff Carbona, yes. Carbona, it's, a, a, it's like a, just a household chemical. Yeah, it's a cleaning solvent, which is actually the name of the company that uses it. So that's why when they tried to release this song in their second album, uh, the record execs were like, ah, Carbona's going to soup. <laughs> this is not an ad. <laughs> so they had to like take it out in some of the releases, actually. Oh, man, that's yeah. unfortunate. It's one of the best songs on the fucking album. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing was, these were not kids going to some fancy school for the arts in Manhattan. Like, this was not the school of design. This was Forest Hills High School. And these were fucking weird kids. And none of them was as weird as Joey. Yeah, well, Joey was weird because he looked weird and acted weird. And this is something, like, maybe a lot of people and a lot of kids didn't realize. That's fucking cool. That's cool as shit. Yeah. And he, like, he tried to look weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had he eventually fully embraced that, you know? Yeah. But, you know, he was be- being bullied all the time, so- sometimes even beaten up by neighbor by neighborhood kids. I mean, it was not easy for him. He was just trying to find a way to... I don't know, to belong. I mean, he even tried to join the Harry Krishnas once. Yeah. <laughs> he, he read a book on Eastern philosophy. He called up his family. He's like, hey, I'm with the Harry Krishnas now. I'm sorry. I'm, I may not be back for a long time. He hangs up. And then later that night, he shows up and he said, yeah, uh, it didn't really work out. They said that cleanliness is next to godliness. And I just couldn't handle that. <laughs> Shower every day, come on. <laughs> but I brought their vegetarian food for us to feast on. I think they're out now. But yeah, Joey was just, a, you know, a teenager. He would hang out in Greenwich Village. You know, he'd hang out at the Bitter End, uh, Folk City, Cafe Wa, mm-hmm. and uh, and just try to hang out in the scene. You know, I mean, he, he made some friends. He, you know, started a couple bands. Uh, he got arrested for having pills because he thought they were his friends. <laughs> Luckily, he got out of that pretty quickly. But this was around the time where he found his signature look. Yeah. Which is when he got prescription sunglasses hell yeah yeah like kind of john lennon kind of like oval shaped he just started wearing that and it just made him feel more comfortable you know in his own skin and and that's the other thing is that like joey ramone like yeah he was an outcast but he was not friendless like he had friends he knew people there were people that liked joey ramone right here this is where we're gonna get into specifically just how these dudes all knew each other and this part is about as queens as it's gonna get Joey's brother, Mickey, was friends with a kid named Michael, whose older brother was in the Tangerine Puppets in 1965. Joey's brother, Mickey, Michael, Tangerine, 1965. Okay, got it, got it. Return to the Puppets for a bit. They were the band that featured the future Tommy and Johnny Ramones. And from what Tommy said, this band was kind of like the hipper Nuggets-style garage rock bands. Remember Nuggets we talked about in, I think, the Stooges series? Uh, It's all garage rock. Bands like the Electric Prunes and the Young Rascals.
right. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I love that old garage rock stuff. I got a very special place in my heart for it. I like it too, but it's such drunk music. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Nothing. <laughs> now, Tommy and Johnny have met each other in the Forest Hills High School cafeteria after Bob Rowland, the lead singer of the Tangerine Puppets, had introduced Tommy to Johnny. <laughs> I got it. I got Tommy, it. Johnny, John, Michael. There's George in there somewhere, too. That's right. Okay, so Tommy was in the Tangerine Puppets as well as Johnny. So uh, this, they were a band. Like They would play like Battle of the Bands, like a lot of high school shows. Uh, Forest Hills High School had the, the crazy Battle of the Bands. I remember we had one in my high school at one point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my band in college won two of them. No way. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> Just everything went right for you. <laughs> for me and Joey. But uh, Tangerine Puppets, like now this band, like they were pretty good. I mean, mostly covers, of course. They were teenage kids or high school kids. And Johnny being in the band, of course, he made it difficult for the rest of the band. Uh, this is during Johnny's difficult years. Oh, they, they were all difficult. He was <laughs> so difficult. Like uh, at one show, the band was playing a cover of the Rolling Stones, uh, a Satisfaction, mm-hmm. when Johnny saw the class president standing like, you know, waiting in the wings right there, like at the stage. So he decided to run over, hit him in the balls with the neck of his guitar. <laughs> Car. <laughs> All because he thought it was funny. Of course. Or, it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Not to the class president. <laughs> and then uh, Truth to power. But Johnny wouldn't even just he wouldn't even just do that with audience members. Like he would also like beat up his own band members in the middle of a song. Yeah, when he thought that his other band members were fucking up, yeah, he would go and punch him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's not the right way. To, it's every, a terrible thing to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like you're making excuses. <laughs> well, you know, they were fucking up. So. Yeah. <laughs> the lead singer would, like, accidentally, like, kick and, like, knock over, like, the, the amp, or he put his through... He put his foot through the amp, and Johnny went over and just beat him up. The other band members had to put down their instruments and actually, like, pull them apart in the middle of a show on stage. Yeah. Johnny (laughs) was a bad man who happened to be an amazing band. (laughs) That's true. Even though Tommy was a few years older than Joey's brother, Mickey... Remember Tommy, the drummer in the Ramones, but even though Tommy was a few years older than Joey's brother Mickey, he still came over to his house from time to time to show him how to play guitar using songs like the Animals classic, The House of the Rising Sun.
But it was while Tommy was hanging out with Mickey that he was introduced to Mickey's brother, Jeff. Of course, Jeff later was known as Joey Ramone. Really, the friend circle that eventually became the Ramones was Mickey's before it was Joey's. I know, it sounds complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it's, it's, it's neighborhood shit. That's what it is. It's uh, That's what makes kind of like the beginning of the Ramones so complicated and so convoluted is that it's just, it is an organic neighborhood friend circle that became one of the best bands of all time. That's right. I mean, that's how they, they all knew each other. They all grew up together. And uh, Johnny and Mickey, Mickey being Joey's brother, mm-hmm. Johnny and Mickey, they bonded. And so they hung out almost every day. And, you know, they bonded mostly over smoking pot and <laughs> listening to The Who. But, you know, yeah, who yeah. did it back then? Uh, yeah, of course. Johnny and Mickey eventually started practicing together with a friend of theirs who was a drummer. So they were actually kind of becoming a band. Yeah. And they were actually playing at gigs. Like, um, Joey and Mickey's dad got them a gig to play at a party, which is great because, well, okay, Joey's dad was a divorced dad mm-hmm. who, joined a, who joined a group called Swords, which is great. It, it stands for Single, Widowed, or Divorced Men. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it, it's you know good, good for him That's, getting some help i love it yeah getting it's, some support <laughs> and he's like well you know my my kid uh he's got a band so they you know they would play at those benefits they also played at a benefit for alimony jail uh-huh. uh for 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 dads who don't pay out don't pay their alimony yeah <laughs> a gig's a gig man <laughs> And when they started getting serious about their band, uh, Johnny and Mickey, they invited Tommy on. Ah. Yeah, they're like, hey, why don't you come and you play and, you know, write some original songs if you want, even though Johnny was just not for that. (laughs) Because Johnny's mindset was like, why do we have to play songs that we wrote just because we wrote them? Why don't we just play the best songs? Yeah. Which, unfortunately, may not be our song. <laughs> yeah, Johnny didn't necessarily ever, like, the creative drive that uh, people like Joey Ramone had, like, it just wasn't in him. Like, it was kind of, but it was so practical. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was so all so ridiculous, ridiculously practical and efficient. But it, it's what, it's part of what, I mean, it was one of the ingredients in the Ramones. Yeah, you're right. It was a very important component to keep going in a certain sense. But Tommy and Mickey being more creative, they wanted to record a demo, mm-hmm. which they did because Tommy, you know, he had a background in sound engineering and he knew somebody. He had a neighbor who owned a recording studio in Manhattan. And that neighbor was Jerry Samuels, a.k.a. Napoleon the Fourteenth, who recorded the novelty song that we all love, at least at our household. Uh, God, I love this song so much. They're coming to take me away. Ha-ha! <laughs> Remember when you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you not to leave because I go berserk? Well... You left me anyhow, and then the days got worse and worse, and now you see I've gone completely out of my mind. And they're coming to take me away, haha, they're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, haha, to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats, and they're coming to take me away. Man, I hope no one was high while listening to this show. (laughs) Or do I? Yeah, in our household, we're definitely fans of Dr. D. Mento. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> God, I love Dr. Demento's radio show, man. <laughs> but yeah, they recorded a, you know, they recorded a demo. It didn't really go very far. Uh, their little band, uh, Humphrey Lynch, they called it, uh, didn't last very long. But at least the one funny thing about it was they got to spend time with Jerry Samuels, <laughs> who would eat who would take tabs of acid like it was cereal <laughs> and hand them out. <laughs> One time when they brought Joey along to, to hang out at, at Jerry Samuel's place, Joey took a tab of acid <laughs> from the cereal bowl and had like the worst trip of his life. <laughs> did he, he play, Did uh, Jerry Samuel's play the Napoleon for, the 14th song? No. <laughs> no, no. He played uh, his own experimental music, which was uh, very uncomfortable. They said it was very uncomfortable. One of it was like, he's like, I call this something like uh, like delivering a baby. <laughs> and then this next song is very experimental. Maybe a little strange, but I call it rape. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, um... <laughs> Bad trip. This I'm going to go home, man. I, this is weird, but I, gotta, I, got, I need to leave and never come back again. Now, even though Mickey and Johnny were fast friends in 1969, Johnny and Joey didn't really care for one another and never really would. But still, the three of them would go out to shows together at the Fillmore, seeing bands like The Who and Mountain. <laughs> I just feel cool listening to it. That's fucking mountain right there. <laughs> Why do you sound like that? Hell yeah, because I'm talking about mountain, talking about Mississippi Queen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just grew a mustache. <laughs> well, meanwhile, Joey's mental problems were only getting worse. Yes, they did. I mean, because, you know, even going to psychiatrists, even going to doctors, he was still having a hard time dealing with just everything. Yeah. You know, he would hardly leave the house. He was still tapping and turning on and off switches and faucets. And it could really be annoying, especially if you spend hours doing that, which he did. You know, and wearing the same clothes and sneakers every day. His sneakers stunk so bad, his mom had to drop them down the incinerator, which was a fucking argument, of course. (laughs) Which is a whole thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like, Mom, Mom, that, those were my only sneakers. <laughs> but then it got a little, kind of a little sadder where Joey was telling Mickey that he was like hearing voices in his head and that uh, he just, he had these suicidal thoughts. Like he felt like he wanted to jump off the roof of their building and it was getting so bad. Like his outbursts, because that was another thing. Like he would get very, uh, explosive you know he he would just get super angry mostly because he was frustrated with what was going on he did he just couldn't understand it 
And at one point, it got really nasty where he was fighting with his mom. And it got to the point where he would back his mom against the wall, screaming at her. And then there was a day where he pulled out a knife on his mom, to which Mickey had to just, like, fucking confront that and be like, no, you are not doing that. Yeah, just take him fucking down. It, it, it got really bad. And that's when his mom's like, this is it. You need, to, you need to go to a doctor. You need to go to a hospital or something. And it definitely got really bad. Joey just sitting in his living room on the floor, you know, with just like his knees up and his hands around, just kind of rocking back and forth, listening to the same song over and over again. I mean, his his brain was just full and he just didn't know how to handle it. So he eventually did let himself get committed to St. Vincent's Hospital for psychiatric evaluation, and he, where he stayed there for almost a month. Yeah. Uh, his evaluation read that he suffered from low self-esteem, from extreme anxiety, which led to explosive behavior that would lead him to like a confused depression. Uh, just because he he just couldn't understand. He, I mean, he was diagnosed with paranoia schizophrenia, uh, and, and and they recommended intense psychotherapy. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, that was the thing back in the days that, you know, schizophrenia was a catch-all diagnosis. Uh, it was not something, like, it wasn't as w- well understood as it is now. Like, back in the 60s, uh, if they didn't know what the fuck was wrong with you, uh, they just said schizophrenic. It was a, a rubber stamp uh, for all sorts of mental illnesses. That's right. And what, what Joey ended up doing after he left the hospital, luckily he started to feel better about everything. I guess maybe he was able to let out a lot of his uh, aggression in a way. He kept going back to the hospital for like outpatient treatments, you know, several times a month. Uh, and so things were getting better. He even found a girlfriend. Oh. Yes, a girlfriend named Wilna, who uh, who he met at the hospital. <laughs> yeah, you see, Wilna was really nice, but she was also very emotionally fragile. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, like, so fragile, like, whenever she would come over, they would hide sharp objects. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, she she was also wrestling with her own issues, right? Of course. And Wilna had to keep her relationship with Joey secret from her parents because they didn't approve of her dating a white guy. Ah. See, Wilna was black and Joey was a Jewish white guy. Ah, yes. And her parents were like against, well, not just her dating a white guy, but just any mixing of the races in general. I want to have a word. <laughs> We would both like a word. But Joey, yes. <laughs> but And Joey would actually even joke about it. He would say like, oh man, your parents must be members of the KKK. <laughs> They're that strict, you know. <laughs> and eventually Wilna's parents did catch on to where she was staying and they took her away. Mm-hmm. Which later turned into what is quite possibly... My favorite Ramon song, many, many, many years later. KKK took my baby away. She never got there. She never got there. 
That's my favorite Ramon song. Yeah, it's my favorite Ramon song, too. I know. We're just sitting here all loving it uh, over <laughs> the story of a poor boy who lost his girlfriend because <laughs> of racism, <laughs> mental illness. But it's really fun. It's a fun it's song. It's a fun song. It's a very fun punk rock song. I fucking love that At song. At the very least. <laughs> but Joey was doing okay. Yeah. You know, overall... Uh, getting better thanks to the hospital thanks to uh, you know he was taking some medication at a time too and he started listening uh, well again because of his OCD uh, the same song over and over again but it really spoke to him and it was Alice Cooper's Ballad of Dwight Fry listen to the lyrics I did not you (laughs) the audience (laughs) Alice Cooper really cracked the code when it came to mopey teenage songs. Yeah, he was the best. (laughs) (laughs) As we said, Mickey was the guitarist in the Hyman house while Joey was the drummer. But still, Mickey eventually taught Joey enough guitar where Joey could play and sing another song from the same Alice Cooper album that Ballad of Dwight Fry was on. Song that is very important to the history of punk rock, I'm 18. But as Joey started playing it over and over, he started singing different words over the chords, saying, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care about this world, I don't care about that girl. And with that, the seeds of the Ramones were planted.
Now, when it comes to the bands we've already covered, one of the things that you might have noticed is that giving the kids a place to gather is just as important as the music itself when it comes to creating future scenes. You saw it with The Damned in California, and you certainly saw it with The Stooges in New York City. In fact, it was at a Stooges show attended by Johnny and Joey that Joey was introduced to Dee Dee Ramone, a.k.a. Doug Colvin. But oh. no one calls him Doug. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. He's Dee Dee for life. Dee Dee. Yeah, I mean, they were all fans of the Stooges. Uh, well, I remember reading when Joey saw the Stooges play on TV when they were playing uh, the Cincinnati Pop Festival mm. of 1970 that we talked about in the Stooges series. Yeah, one of the coolest moments in rock and roll history where Iggy Pop is walking on this audience's hands. Yeah, and then he's smearing peanut butter all over himself. Mm -hmm. Well, Joey and Johnny are sitting there in front of the TV like, whoa. And Johnny's like, I think that's diarrhea. <laughs> and Joey's like, no, 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 man. No, he's not. Is that really? And they're like staring at their TV. And, and Johnny's like, yeah, no, that's shit. I hear he does shit like that. That's definitely shit. You know, like more like the Cincinnati Poop Festival, if you ask me. <laughs> Hey <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but there were other influences in that time period besides just the Stooges. And since Joey was coming of age in the early 70s near Manhattan, it follows that Joey's first big contemporary influence when it came to being a rock and roll singer was glam. That's my number one favorite karaoke song to sing. <laughs> That's a goddamn good one to choose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you do the, I see a man in the back. <laughs> and you point, everyone in the audience looks back. <laughs> Every time, I guarantee it. That's command on an audience. Thank you. Now, Joey was big into the glam. You know, the, the glitter days. And, of course, in the 70s, Joey was a big fan of Lou Reed, T-Rex, Alice Cooper, of course, and especially David Bowie. Oh, of course. Everyone at that time had... I mean, if you weren't into David Bowie at that time, what the fuck were you up to? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yes. But also, I think it mattered to Joey the most because being a skinny, tall kid with no real athletic abilities didn't matter anymore. Yeah. You could be a scrawny guy and still be a rock star. You know, like you could just, you don't have to be pretty. No. You know, that that was the best thing about David Bowie. He's like, come on out, all you ugly ducklings. <laughs> we can all be rock stars together. It's your time. Yes. 
And so he felt like, okay, I could be weird. I'm going to embrace that. Weird is cool. Weird is fucking rock and roll. Hell yeah. And just like David Bowie, Joey would wear like sequins. Uh, he would put on scarves that he would bo- borrow from his mom. He'd borrow also jewelry to try on makeup. Uh, you know, just it just it was a rock and roll look, man. All right, mom, you don't understand it. I just got I just got to wear this. <laughs> and his mom's like, all right, well, here's the here's the blush. <laughs> remember, she did encourage him to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, ex- except for when it's like, you never put anything away, though. <laughs> and then there was the one time that Joey asked his mom's friend, Edna, who was a seamstress. <laughs> of course, there's an Edna. Of course. Yeah. Edna from Queens. Yeah. <laughs> he asked Edna to make a one piece jumpsuit. He's like, yes, I want to like a David Bowie jump piece. Can you make it like red or gold with like sequins and lots of glitter all around and you know something shiny? And Edna was like, hmm, Jeffrey, uh, it would be more comfortable if it were cotton. <laughs> I think we should go with cotton. I, it'll make it'll last you longer. It'll breathe more. Uh, yeah, I get. Yeah, sure, sure. So she she got to work. She made it, and she's like, I couldn't get red or gold. How about black? Black is good, right? And he's like, fine. So he also ordered some uh, knee-high platform boots mm-hmm. from Granny Takes a Trip. You know, the old clothing store? Of course. And uh, he had, well, he also actually, he had to order them (laughs) because they didn't come in a size 10, unfortunately. (laughs) And so he he had his, like, you know, really cool black one-piece suit on, just, like, kind of zipped down to the navel a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. and scarves tied around his waist and wherever around his neck if he wanted to, and and his platform boots on. And then he decided, okay, now to be a rock star, I'm going to put an ad in the Village Voice, which he did. He put it on the classifieds, you know, looking for a band to join and then he sat by the phone in the kitchen and waited wearing the jumpsuit and platform boots <laughs> just he was just ser- seriously sitting there staring at the phone ready to be a star i mean i get it like if you when someone calls and they ask you like are you ready to be in a fucking rock and roll group like you want to feel like you're ready to be in a rock and roll group you know like you can't be just sitting there in your fucking underwear nah like you got to be fucking ready but did anyone call yeah, d- maybe. <laughs> I think it's it's possibly the most adorable story that we've ever told on this show. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Joey being as tall and gawky as he was, the glam outfits he wore attracted the attention of the crueler kids and queens who would hang out by the playground near Joey's apartment. Joey took to calling these kids brats, and this animosity would eventually manifest as one of my favorite Ramon songs... Beat on the brat. Beat on the brat. Beat on the brat. Beat on the brat with the baseball bat. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Beat on the brat. Beat on the brat. Beat on the brat with the baseball bat. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh.
That was the Ramones song that first blew my mind. That was my. That's actually one of my favorite songs too. Yeah. I love that. I fucking love that song so much. Yeah, I actually didn't get into the Ramones until right after Joey Ramone died. Like I remember, I had to pretend like when he died, like a girl in theater class like came up to me and was like, "Joey Ramone died." I'm like, "Oh, that's terrible." <laughs> <laughs> That's oh wow man that sounds bad and then uh, next time I was in uh, Abilene I went to the record store in the mall of Abilene and uh, saw Ramon the Ramones anthology behind the counter I was like is that any good and the guy's like it is amazing you have to buy it right now and I put it on beat on the brat was the second song and uh, it blew my fucking mind it's like this band is amazing and I've been a gigantic Ramones fan ever since oh and then you got sad yeah <laughs> then you mourned yeah you know appropriately appropriately yes. yes it's like oh man it sucks that this guy's dead now oh <laughs> man everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Now, Joey would regularly hang out at the Coventry Club in Queens, glammed to the fucking nines, and eventually he was asked to be the lead singer in a glam band called Sniper. Oh, yeah, it was a local band. It started in 1972. Uh, they just added him on because, you know, he already looked like a rock star. He looked cool. Yes, and he was front man, you know, wearing, of course, his one-piece jumpsuit. <laughs> the cotton one-piece jumpsuit. Man, yes. that dude looked so cute. With his platform boots. And he's already, what, 6'6"? Six, six? Yeah. So he looked massive, and it looked cool. It made for good theater. Of course. And when he was playing, he, his brother said, his brother Mickey said, uh, you know, I wasn't sure about this. This is probably going to be really lame, but I went because it's my brother. And he was blown away. Man, I really wish there were some Sniper recordings out there. I wish they yeah. would have recorded something. I would love to hear what Sniper sounded like. Well, Joey Ramone is the lead singer of a glam band? That's fucking great. <laughs> I think they did record a few things, but that's after Joey Ramone was kicked up. Of course. Unfortunately, because the, the Sniper did continue on, and then they changed their names a couple times until about 1979. The I mean, the glam bands are a dime a dozen in 1972, but... Joey Ramone as the lead singer of a glam band. That's a rock and roll artifact I'd love to fucking hear. Oh, yeah. No, he looked cool. Like, on stage, he was he moved like his hero, David Bowie. He had, like, this unique look and stance, you know, where he leaned over the microphone. It looked like he could topple over at any minute. <laughs> and sometimes he did. <laughs> and, you know, Sniper played with Suicide a couple times. Really? Yeah, yeah, once or twice. And when Joey was kicked out of the band uh, by 1974 for you know, not being pretty enough. Man, that's all these assholes have this in, in, 
notion that they have to be pretty and they end up kicking out some of the best fucking members that's what it was in the damned i mean with uh london ss like it's fucking crazy yeah i know but when he was kicked out joey went up to alan vega remember we said this in the in the suicide series asking like do you know any uh bands i could play with (laughs) (laughs) that was then oh man that's so cool yeah and also the funny thing is joey was actually there with Didi ramon uh going back to the suicide series when that uh blonde woman in S&M gear started running into the wall. <laughs> so this is all coinciding at the same time. That's the crazy thing about it is that, that that's really what we're going to, uh, what everyone is going to realize, like the more we get into the Ramon series is just how fucking small the New York scene was, at least at the beginning. Like it grew eventually, but at the beginning, like it was just the musicians. Like that's what they said. Like in the beginning, like if you looked out at the audience of these early shows, it was completely made up, almost completely made up of either people who went on to form some of the bands that are institutions nowadays or they were you know people who started zines or they were journalists or they were record label execs like it's all all the people that made this music were originally just making this music for each other and that's how scenes always are you know like that's how it all that's how scenes always start like if you're out there in a scene and you're a little discouraged that the only people in the audience are the other bands uh and you know your girlfriends or boyfriends like, just know that, like, if you keep going, sometimes those scenes kick off. But, you know, take a little bit of heart. Yeah. Now, of course, all these guys work menial labor jobs on the road to the Ramones. Joey, though, had probably the cushiest job of all, as Joey worked and sometimes lived in his mother's art gallery on Queens Boulevard. Yeah, his mom gave him a job at the art gallery and frame shop. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you might want to put art gallery like kind of in quotes, kind of, sort of. Like, it's not like the hip Soho art galleries that fucking Alan Vega was was displaying his insane street art. Like, this was, you know, there were little Jewish old ladies coming in wanting to get their nice pictures of the family framed. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Well, I mean, his mom was like, you are 23 now? No college or career prospects? All right, fine. You need to grow up. So you're going to go work at my art gallery that I just opened. All right, great. And you need to find your own place, too. And Joey's like... All right, two <laughs> birds. <laughs> two for one here. There Elliot. we go. And like th- that's what it is. Like, he would just sleep on the floor in the stock room. He had a sleeping bag and a pillow and then just get up and work during the day. <laughs> and then later, Dee Dee stayed there. He's like, well, you know, I kind of have an apartment. <laughs> I have a floor is what yeah. he meant. I have a floor and four walls. Come on out. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Johnny worked mostly in construction, but he'd met Dee Dee while delivering dry cleaning to the top of the hill on 66th and Queens. Although I don't know if that's 66th Street, 66th Avenue, or 66th Road. Queens can be so confusing. <laughs> it's an amazingly confusing city to drive around in. Now, Johnny, with hair down to his ass wearing tie-dye jeans and a headband, looked in the parlance of the Times like a freak. And over the course of conversation, he and Dee Dee found that both of them loved the Stooges. That's the thing. It's one of those where you, you go to a college or you go to a small town, and if you find that one thing in common, yeah. which they did, that's that's what they said. They're like, we all started hanging out with each other because we love the Stooges, and there were like three to four people who liked the Stooges in our neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, the, so the Stooges in Queens actually had like disdain. 
Like people hated the Stooges. Like it was something. It's like, yeah, I don't fucking like that band. Like it was. <laughs> uh, but these guys, like you know, they really they gathered around this flag. Like the Stooges were the flag that everyone in the Ramones uh, gathered around. And of course, the conversation that Dee Dee and Johnny had led them to go into a Stooges show in Manhattan, where Dee Dee met Joey. Now we're all starting to see this shit come together. Now, Dee Dee did live, as we said, with Joey in his mom's art shop for a bit, but Dee Dee, who we all know had a fucking awful upbringing, started doing morphine that he found in garbage cans at 14, he used to take the F train into the city for heroin. Now, there are conflicting reports as to what Dee Dee sometimes did in the city for heroin money, but it's commonly accepted that Dee Dee sometimes sold his own body on the streets of Manhattan to fund his habit. This is before the Ramones. That's true. I mean, he did say in his book uh, that he, he said, all my songs are autobiographical. They speak for themselves. The song 53rd and 3rd, you know, being about Vietnam vet turned hustler who can't pick up any guys. And when he finally gets someone, he kills the guy to prove he's no sissy. <laughs> uh, I mean, I imagine that Didi did not kill a man. No, and he also wasn't a Vietnam vet. No, <laughs> that is true, too. But also a lot of it has to do with what they were seeing around them. It's a great short story. I mean, that's what 53rd and 3rd is. It's a fantastic little short story. Because, you know, back then, the spot to pick up a young boy in Manhattan was a specific street corner. It was 53rd and 3rd. And a lot of people afterwards said, yeah, I saw I saw Dee Dee down there. <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> and when they asked Dee Dee about it uh, in the documentary, uh, End of the Century, which is fucking great, uh, he goes, ah, yeah, you know, their stories. The song speaks for itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's fucking listen to it. Dee Dee singing. Yeah. Hey, good for him. <laughs> well, you know, uh, around this time uh, when he was, you know, soliciting, mm-hmm. uh, he actually answered an ad and auditioned for Tom Verlaine and Richard Hell's uh, band Neon Boys. No shit. Tom Verlaine and uh, Richard Hell, of course, uh, went on to form television. Well, that's it. Neon Boys, that's where they were. They first started when they moved to New York. Uh, so they held auditions, Dee Dee being one of them at, for a guitarist. But Dee Dee wasn't good enough. No, Dee Dee knew like three chords. Yeah. 
And Richard Hell said like Didi would only play bar chords because that's all he knew. <laughs> like they would try to show him C. F F F F G G G G F. But they're like, no, C, do C. And he couldn't. And he'd look at them and move his finger and they'd shake their heads like, no. <laughs> and then he'd move his finger again. They're like, uh, uh, no. <laughs> you know what? Uh, thanks for coming. We'll get in touch with you. <laughs> and eventually they got Richard Lloyd, uh, which would become television, mm-hmm. as you said. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get into television uh, on the next episode when we uh, talk about CBGBs. But, you know, for me, like the funny thing about Dee Dee was the type of music that he loved. It seems completely opposite to what you'd think of the guy that, you know, one of the founding members and like principal songwriters for, you know, the premier punk band. Now, naturally, he was into the Beatles, but Dee Dee's taste was surprisingly bubblegum, leaning heavily on the side of Scottish feel-good rockers, the Bay City Rollers. I mean, that's why they came up with that hey ho chant. Yeah. Because they wanted a chanty song. Yeah, I mean, the Bay City Rollers are a huge influence on the Ramones. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I never got the hate for Bay City Rollers. Like, people will talk shit about them and say, like, you know, this is the exa- this is an example of how much music sucked back then. You know, I was like, no, it was great. It makes you feel good. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's happy fucking music. You know, like, not every single song in the world has to talk about the very serious things in life and the things that we all have to do. No, it's like sometimes you just want a song that's fun. It talks about S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. You need a song to skate to. (laughs) (laughs) Now, although Johnny, Joey, and Dee Dee were essentially drifting, Tommy actually had a solid career going in the music business working as a recording engineer at the record plant in Manhattan. That's true. He got his in. Well, first he got his in just... Just one of those happenstance where he uh, he was like 18. He ran into a friend of his on the subway who was uh, who was a recording engineer at Dick Charles' studio in, in Manhattan. And uh, Tommy just kind of went along with that guy. He got a job. And then from Dick Charles Studios, a lot of the guys started the record plant. And that's where he went on to work as an as- assistant engineer. So Tommy was working at the record plant. He worked on Jimi Hendrix's Band of Gypsies, mm-hmm. oh, that's a, which was amazing. He said, like, working with Hendrix was 
was awesome. He was nothing but nice and sweet, but he had this great work ethic mm-hmm. and wouldn't be satisfied with just good enough, you know? And that was something like Tommy admired. Yeah. And that's what he loved. He felt at home in the studio. But even at the even at the same time, he would still play in bands. Like he started a band called Butch, <laughs> which was cool. I mean, he played with Jeff Salen, who was later into Tough Darts, and uh, they would play a couple times at the Coventry, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. like you know that Queens venue where you know where Kiss started, yeah, and uh, where Sniper was starting as well. Uh, Monty Melnick, who we'll talk about a lot, was also in the band Butch. Yeah, the Monty Melnick. Monty Melnick uh, later being a Ramones tour manager. And he, there's a lot on that to unpack, of course. <laughs> yeah, Monty's going to play a really big part in the series. Yeah, but at this point, Tommy's kind of working with uh, some bands and then uh, just just working at the recording plant and just really learning how to record an album. Yeah, and, and these skills would be amazingly important to uh, the Ramones later. Like, there's a, there, if had Tommy not gotten this job, uh, the Ramones probably would not have made it. They probably would not have made their first album. They would not have been able to make the album that they wanted to make because it was like one of them was able to, you know, infiltrate, <laughs> co-produce, and eventually write and produce with them for, with them for uh, for decades. Yeah, and you know, in the band that you mentioned, uh, that dev- like I guess that the people don't realize it's from Queens uh, is Kiss. Like yeah. Kiss is from like like they're a bunch of Jewish kids from Queens. Yeah, <laughs> they were starting up right around that time. Kiss actually played like a pretty big role in uh, in the Queens music scene, but although I don't know what the Ramones, like, what their opinion was of Kiss. Well, they said that they just, they were there, you know? (laughs) And this is, like, they're like, yeah, yeah, they were fine. Like, they had no qualms or anything. They weren't big fans. I mean, they just, they were just like, you guys do your thing and we're just going to do our thing. Now, unlike the Queens boys, Tommy, because he worked at the record plant, he already lived in Manhattan. And in 1973, he shared an apartment on 2nd Avenue and 9th Street with Chris Stein, who would later become the co-founder of the most successful New York band of the late 70s, Blondie. I saw you standing on the corner. You look so big and fine. I really wanted to go out with you. So when you smiled, I laid my heart on the line.
fucking great. It's off of Blondie's first album. It, I, I love that. I love how they they really literally were on the street. <laughs> They've been evicted. All their shit is out there, and they're just sitting there, and they're just like, we don't know what to do next. We don't know where we're going to stay tonight. And then it was seriously like a scene in a movie where it's like, telegram for you, like a guy in a bicycle, <laughs> and just hands it to them, and it just rides out, and they're like, what is it? What is it, Debbie? Oh, we got a record deal. <laughs> It like was a fucking Muppets. Literally, that's what happened. Maybe not the bike messenger, but that's where they got the news. That's amazing. No, I, I fucking love X Defender. It's it's like the Shangri Laws backed by a surf band. Right? It's fucking it's amazing. You know, and that's the thing. It's like the Shangri Laws. Like we haven't talked about the Shangri Laws a whole lot in this episode. Uh, but man, the Shangri Laws like. All of these people love the Shangri-Las. Like, they were such a... I mean, they were, of course, like an influence on the dolls because the dolls loved them so much. Like, everybody else who came after the dolls also listened to the Shangri-Las. Uh, and if you've never listened to them, like, they, they're... Our favorite girl group of the 60s. Oh, they're great. Yeah. They're awesome. They're, they're so fucking good. And their whole catalog is is really impressive. They've got a great story. Uh, I, I would actually, I would love to do a little episode on on the Shangri-Las. Oh, let's do it. We, we might. A after this one, like, you know, we, like we did with our Sid and Nancy episode, like, it might be cool to do, like, a full episode. And, like, here's here's the story of this real fucking influential band. This band that influ that is insanely influential for none of the reasons that you'd think it'd be. <laughs> And then came 1974. Now, if there's one thing that you'll notice about the songs we played that were loved by Joey and Dee Dee, it's that for the most part, they're fucking fun. They're very fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're extremely fun songs. You know, and when it comes to the fun music that they loved, like, specifically from the 50s, you can truly hear the vocal influence on Joey Ramone, specifically when you listen to Lubbock, Texas' own Buddy Holly. Oh, well, the little things you say and do Make me want to be with you too Rain on, it's a crazy feeling And I know it's got me feeling When you say, I love you Rain on The way you dance and hold me tight The way you kiss and say goodnight Rain on, it's a crazy feeling Speed that up to twice as fast, and that's a punk song. Yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. I mean, that's a, people talk about how like, like yeah, that early Elvis stuff is real punk punk rock. It's like, no, fuck that, Buddy Holly. Now that early shit. Now that shit's punk rock. That's fucking great. But you know, that, I I got a yeah, that, I got that, an affinity. That's a Marcus's opinion. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, yeah, you're right. I, I'm entitled to. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, being born in Lubbock and going to college in Lubbock, like you know, you you get an affinity for Buddy Holly. Like you start feeling like that. It's like, yeah, that's our boy. That's yeah. our that's our fucking guy. Because that's all we got. You know who my girl is? Who? Selena. <laughs> 
<laughs> of course, yeah. Growing up in Mexico, like everybody's got that, you know. Yeah. Like you, you've got that musician, that local musician that you grab onto. But you know, going back to the music scene in 1974, from the perspective of the dudes who would eventually become the Ramones, the rock scene was in decay. I mean, it was full of masturbatory synth solos that I personally enjoy, and dour lyrics about. Nothing particularly important to the average guy. Like, you're not going to listen to a Yes song and feel like they're speaking to you. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> it's great to listen to. It's really fucking cool. I love those bands. I love Prague. Uh, you know, especially those, like, overextended uh, synth solos. But it's not something that, like, I never listen to Yes and think, like, man, these guys, they get me. Like, they get what I'm going through. No, it's, they're singing about fucking dragons and gigantic dragonflies. Like, it's not it, it's not something that really... Speaks to dragons. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I do have to take a little bit of umbrage with the Ramones when they say 1974 wasn't a fun time for music. Because that's the same year we heard Ballroom Blitz by Sweet, Rebel Rebel by David Bowie, that's your Diamond Dogs came out, and you also had another rock and roll throwback that's kind of in the same vein as the Ramones, Devil Gate Drive by Susie Quattro. Australians love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, uh, didn't it go to like number two in the UK as well? Yeah. Yeah, it was big, big it, song. It was big everywhere except here. Well, maybe that's probably why the Ramones didn't get to hear it. It could be. I mean, like Susie Quattro did have uh, one, I think she had one song get to number four because Susie Quattro played Leather Tuscadero in Happy Days. Oh, the TV show Happy Days. <laughs> Which, Happy Days was Dee Dee Ramone's favorite show. Dee Dee fucking loved Happy Days. <laughs> I loved Happy Days. When I was a kid, I loved watching Happy Days after school. Uh, but yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, Quattro, despite performing on Happy Days multiple times, I, if she was, I don't necessarily remember, but if she was Leather Tuscadero, then that means she was probably related to Pinky Tuscadero, who was Fonzie's girlfriend. I need to get out of this fandom. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, like like Susie, like she was biggest, even though I think she was from Ohio, uh, she was American, definitely. Uh, she got huge in Australia. There was actually a documentary, that just came, an Australian documentary that just came out uh, last year because Susie Quattro is still popular in Australia to this day. But just, I don't know, just did not catch on here. Uh, had the one kind of sort of hit. But... As far as the Queens boys were concerned, music sucked. So, <laughs> so they figured it was time for them to make their own contribution. On January 23rd, 1974, and we know the exact date because Johnny Ramone kept records of everything, Johnny got serious and bought a blue Mosserite guitar for $50. Yeah, he had to haggle him down. <laughs> he didn't have to haggle him down. He wanted to haggle him yeah, down. Yeah, he did. And, and then once he, he's like, give me my guitar now that we made this deal. Uh, Didi, get me my shopping bag. No, I'm not buying anything else. 
And the Mossrite had been known at that point as a surf guitar because its distinctive twang had been featured by album churners, the Ventures, during their highest output period in the 60s. Don't get me wrong. I love the Ventures. Yes. <laughs> Ventures are great. But I'd never really looked into their full discography before this. And if you fellow record collectors out there have ever wondered why every used bin is fucking clogged with albums by the Ventures, it's because the Ventures released no less than 31 albums in the 60s alone. Wow. Just the 60s. They didn't even count what they did in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> like, I stopped counting at 31. I was like, well, 31 is impressive enough. Oh, yeah. That, that's why when you go to the dollar bin, you'll find at least three Ventures records at all times. Oh, that's good. I mean, they're leaving their mark by making them. They're making so many records. <laughs> you just can't avoid it. <laughs> I think that was their plan because they would release Christmas albums. They would release cover albums. They would release themed albums. Like they were just such good musicians that they could just release album after album after album. Now, the Moss Rite eventually became the signature Johnny Ramone guitar, and it's credited partly with giving the Ramones their distinctive sound. But Johnny didn't choose the Mossrite because he wanted a particular tone. He chose it because he could get it for 50 bucks. Because Johnny believed that all guitars sounded the same if you turned them up loud enough. Yeah, they do sound like a guitar, Johnny. <laughs> you, you're right. And you know the funny thing is, like, Lou Reed once told Johnny, like, later, man, you're using the wrong guitar, you know? It's just not going to work, you know, what you're trying to do. Trust me, I'm an expert on this. And Johnny just was like... You're a dick. <laughs> and Joey in the background, just imagine Joey in the background just laughing. Being like, Someone told Johnny he's wrong. This is beautiful. Well, Johnny didn't really care about being technical either. That's because he, like all the other members of the Ramones, have been hanging out at places like the Mercer Art Center and Max's Kansas City. And they'd all seen the New York Dolls. Oh, yeah. I mean, Johnny saw them 20 times wow. alone. Yeah, starting in, he, of course, he kept records. And uh, according to his book, Commando, starting in August 15th, 1972 at Mercer <laughs> Arts Center to the last time he saw them was April 19th, 1974 at the Coventry. Like, he knew exactly every single time. It's amazing. Wow. And for, for Johnny, he said, like, it's not about musicianship because it's not necessary. You see, Johnny always, he only needed what was necessary, what was important, like what was effective uh, or what was efficient. Uh, so it was more like about entertainment, about fun, you know, and that was what Johnny thought. The first time he saw them, he's like, they're great. They're terrible, <laughs> but they're great. And the best thing about this is I can do this. That's a direct quote. They're yes. great. They're terrible, but they're great. <laughs> <laughs> and in 
and even Tommy said so himself. He's like, if there's going to be a new direction in music, it's not going to be through virtuosity. No. About who's the best musician of all time. At least not to these guys. To them, he thought it was. It's going to go through ideas. Of course, like it's going to go through ideas, and it's go through going to go through passion. It's going to go through feeling, uh, because like it's very expensive to be in a prog rock band. All of that, all of that equipment costs a lot of fucking money, and you got to spend all your fucking time just playing music in order to get that good at an instrument. And the Ramones didn't have fucking time for that. They had to fucking pay rent. Like, <laughs> like they had to go to a, like Johnny had to be at the fucking construction site at fucking six a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> like, they didn't have they didn't have time for it. That's one of their big stamps on the history of music uh, is that they show that like you don't have to spend every moment of your life just getting good at your instrument in order to be in not only a band but to be in a fucking great band. Like you've still got, of course you've got to play, of course you've got to practice, uh, of course you got to get good. But it doesn't have to be your entire life because for a lot of people it can't be your entire life. So, with the legendary Moss Ride in Johnny's possession, the stage was set for the Ramones to begin. And that's where we'll pick back up for part two of our series. Oh, I'm excited. Oh, so excited. I know, because, I mean, they're not even the Ramones yet. <laughs> we're about five minutes away from them being the Ramones. Yeah, yeah, we're very close to it. But, but it's important for us to establish every all four members, like, uh, personalities and, and, their, and their upbringing, because it's really important to see how they react to what really becomes, like, a, a stardom, in a sense, and then a lot of times for them realizing, like, well, you know, we have a father. We're going to do great. You know, people really like our music. Musicians like our music. How come we're just not on the billboard charts? And, yeah. and you know, there there's a lot to do with that. A lot to uh, just to kind of. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot yeah. to unpack. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of factors, you know, and the, the and the Ramones are the band is so closely tied to the personalities of these four men you know at least at, at, at very much at the beginning and it's just so interesting to see how when you uh you know when we talk about suicide and how they're saying like how w what's their version of making it and then we talk about the damned and what's their version of making it and the funny thing is is like suicides looking at the ramones like they got a major record deal <laughs> you know and the damned is like well everyone loves the ramones and w what are we doing and then the ramones is like looking at another band <laughs> saying how come we're not making it well wh how come the sex pistols are being talked about for for decades like everyone's looking at someone else and not realizing <laughs> that someone Someone's looking at you yeah. and seeing you as like an um, uh, already an amazing band. And this is just such a human thing to do. And I, I find that so interesting because when people try to work on their craft in whatever creative way they want to do, if you're looking up and saying, how come how come this is not working? Believe me, there's probably someone else looking at you that way. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I guarantee that. The Ramones, they were looking at Blondie. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, well, I mean, we're friends, but Yeah, man. we're friends. And we'll get into the relationship between the Ramones and Blondie uh, in, in the next episode. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, there's always... There's the the grass is always greener, I guess, as they say. Uh, but yeah, anytime you're in a creative, anytime you're in a creative role, especially if you're trying to make it your job, there's always someone looking up at you uh, and wishing that they were there. Yeah. So just keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. Uh, if if anything, for that one person. <laughs> 
are many. <laughs> yeah, and be thankful, you know, like, yeah, because that that one person would probably there's probably people out there that would kill to be where you are. Uh, so just yeah, just keep going, guys. Yeah, always, you know, especially in these hard times. Yeah, I th- I think so. I think so too. All right, so I guess oh we we should do a, 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 the new band that we want to showcase because I mean they're not new but they're new to us. They're new to us and, and they're great. And they've got a new album this year. Uh, Are they, they from uh, Canada? They're, <laughs> they're from Montreal. Oh, I love. Canada. Yeah. <laughs> it is the Hypnophonics. These guys are fucking great. They got a new record yeah. out uh, on Stomp Records. Uh, they are fantastic. Like, it's for friends of T-Sol, The Cramps, uh, The Dead Kennedys, even The Kinks. Like, those are all bands that these guys uh, name check as influences. Uh, and uh, they're they're fantastic. I, I really love this band. And this song truly is, like, this is, like, mwah. Like oh boy, like this is a, a right up my alley. This is a spicy. This is a spicy, spicy meatball. <laughs> <laughs> so let's listen to a song from Hypnoponics. Let us listen to Oh No, Oh Yeah. All right, thanks guys. Thank you everybody. Stay safe. Uh, wash your hands, and uh, this too shall pass. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world... 
Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.